Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from the Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. It's almost over. I'm talking about the year 2020, one that won't soon be forgotten. Let's do a little wrap-up. I'll make it quick. The mastermind behind Iran's terrorist campaign against the United States and its allies, General Qasem Soleimani, was killed in a U.S. airstrike. President Donald Trump was impeached and acquitted. Britain left the European Union for good. Schools and businesses everywhere shut down due to COVID-19, changing our lives as we know it. George Floyd, an unarmed black man, was killed by a white police officer in Minneapolis, shocking the conscience of America. Riots and protests took over cities across the country in the name of the Black Lives Matter organization, and criminals looted businesses and created civil unrest. Criminals continued to deface America's monuments, tearing down statues of our founding fathers. SpaceX launched an American rocket into space with an American crew for the first time in nine years. California experienced wildfires like never before, and the governor enforced rolling power outages across the state. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and was replaced by Justice Amy Comey Barrett, shifting the balance of the court. Millions of Americans rightly worried if their vote in the 2020 presidential election was stolen or diluted by fraud and administrative errors. And just this past week, the FDA approved and released a COVID-19 vaccine. So, is this roller coaster ride over? What does 2021 have in store for us? Today, we're talking to Tommy Binion, Vice President of Congressional and Executive Branch Relations here at Heritage. Tommy knows the heartbeat of Capitol Hill better than anyone in Washington. After this short break, he's going to explain what we should expect in the year 2021. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. So, Tommy, 2020 has been quite a year, to say the least. As the person that I turn to each week to let me know what policy issues are going to be popping up, what can you tell me about this upcoming year on Capitol Hill? Well, let me first say uh, hallelujah that 2020 is coming to a close. Amen. Uh, I, I know that all of the audience uh, has experienced the struggle that everybody on the globe has experienced in 2020. And uh, as in all things, the policy world really mimicked 
the rest of the world. 2020 was a wild year. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation where we get to look forward to 2021. Um, there is a lot of interesting things that are going to unfold in the, in the new year in terms of what policy uh, is going to be enacted. Some of it's left over from 2020, right? The, some of the biggest policy issues uh, that are facing the country. How are we going to recover from the COVID pandemic? What will the various recovery mechanisms look like? And notice I'm talking about recovery, not relief. Uh, hopefully, with the wonderful news that there has been multiple vaccines developed and their distribution is already on the way, we can go to talking about COVID recovery and turning the page uh, and not so much COVID relief, although we still all feel very much that relief is needed. But we're going to be looking at a bunch of policy topics, tech, immigration, education, um, all that flows from the civil unrest that happens in 2020 and beyond. Do you still see COVID relief in terms of economic relief, uh, the packages that we've been working on in 2020, do you think Congress is still going to be working on that? And what should they do differently if they are? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Um, in a lot of ways, the economic problems are not precipitated directly by COVID, but they're precipitated by um, uh orders put in place on the state level. So imagine if you're a restaurant owner um, and you are forbidden from opening your doors um, to would-be patrons to come and eat in your restaurant. You know, who, is that is that uh, COVID that you need relief from or is that a, um, a, an overly onerous state policy that is really affecting your business? Well, it's a little bit of both because uh, you know restaurants wouldn't see 100% of the business they may see uh, in a non COVID year, but certainly the orders are really affecting them. So the answer to your question lies in what happens with the state policies going forward. Uh, is there going to be a wake up to the fact that these lockdowns are not necessarily effective in stopping the spread of COVID and are actually causing great economic harm? Or are we going to continue to try the same thing? Um, if the answer is we're going to continue to try the same thing, then uh, you know, businesses are going to continue to tell their representatives in Congress that they need relief from programs like PPP. Um, but it is my sincere hope um, that we can uh, enact policies on the state level that follow the science and shut down only those activities which explicitly contribute to the spread of COVID and otherwise let businesses uh, try their best um, to make a profit and make a living and, and support the, the business owners and their families. I think that makes a ton of sense. I guess thinking in a, in a bit of a different way, before the world changed, uh, immigration was a really huge issue for conservatives. In a world where Joe Biden could be president, is that a moot issue? Do we just give up on the issues that were really so important to us? No, no, uh, not at all. Uh, giving up is, is never an option. Uh, for conservatives uh, who care as deeply about the rule of law and the future of our republic and, and the Constitution, as I know that everybody listening does. Um, but certainly, uh, immigration is going to remain um, a really important topic. Uh, border security is the first thing to talk about anytime you're talking about immigration. 
Uh, President Trump has made substantial gains in the area of border security, but the job is not yet done. Um, uh, one of the biggest pieces of securing the border is enforcing our immigration laws. So no matter who the president is, we need to make sure that immigration laws are enforced so that the incentive to cross the border is not there and the deterrent rather is there. Will there be an effort to enact some sort of a grand amnesty deal? That is uh, very much in the cards. The last time we saw a major push for this was in 2013, but of course amnesty was not enacted and the prevailing wisdom about the politics surrounding immigration changed dramatically, especially on the right in Washington, D.C. So uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting, no matter who the president is, what happens on the issue of immigration. I, I've always believed that the instinct of members of Congress on this particular issue has been wrong. Their instinct is always to come up with some comprehensive proposal but the various elements of the comprehensive proposals always work against each other. Let me tell you quickly what I mean. If you enact amnesty, that creates an incentive for anybody who wants to get in this country illegally to come now and, and come very fast before that amnesty kicks in. Well, that surge that is created at the border, and we saw this in 2013, makes it nearly impossible to secure the border. So it's really hard to say, look, we've, we've, we've got this great bill that secures the border and does an immigration amnesty. Well, those two things are contradictory and, and I think impossible. So conservatives need to make sure that uh, members of Congress don't follow their worst instinct and go about making some sort of grand comprehensive deal on immigration policy. Though I'm here to report, there are certainly those on both sides of the aisle that are interested in that today. Yeah. So let's say amnesty comes up and we have to pivot to defense just generally. What are some of the other issues we looked at? You mentioned some of them, big tech. What were the others? I think there's also been a lot of fallout um, in uh, COVID from education, right? Many of us are parents and we know of uh, in very personal ways the failure of the education system in 2020. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of parents have turned to homeschooling or private options, and it has become more clear, I think, in 2020 than ever before that educational choice is something that every parent in the United States of America must have. Uh, so I think great strides are going to be made in the area of education um, after the fallout from what happened during COVID. Uh, one other issue I, I just wanted to mention, which has become a really big issue here at the end of 2020, is critical race theory. Um, when, when the New York Times initially launched their 1619 initiative um, and, and started really changing the nature of the conversation around race in this country, conservatives responded uh, by um, exposing uh, the, the, the twisted way that critical race theory um divides Americans and, and pits them against each other. And it really doesn't follow what we know about the truth of human nature, um, which is that uh, we're all equal and called to love each other uh, and treat each other uh, with respect and love. So it's uh, it, that is going to be um, something that continues here at the end of 2020. The Trump administration issued an executive order um, to prohibit um, critical race theory training in the federal government. Um, and that issue is, is only going to spiral from there in 2021. Oh, I really hope we don't have to fight super hard on that one. I hope that's one that just sort of fizzles out. 
What about election integrity? This is a massive issue, um, and it and it has been before 2021. The Heritage Foundation collected every documented instance of election fraud in a database before this election. Um, and it is evident to anybody that spends five or 10 minutes digging through that database that election fraud is real, uh, that people um, do commit voter fraud and that there are efforts to change election results uh, through various fraudulent activities. Of course, we've never seen anything like the level of allegations made about the 2020 elections to the point where uh, a significant portion of Americans do not trust the 2020 election results. We can never have that happen again. We can never have a national election where close to half of Americans don't trust the results. Well, what happened in 2020? Well, in response to COVID, many States, especially blue states, put in voting rules, new, not, not new voting laws, but new voting regulations that came in many cases straight from the governor um, that changed the way that the elections were conducted. They changed the way that um, voters were verified. They expanded opportunities um, to vote without having your uh, ID checked or your signature checked. And in some cases, they took the voting rolls, which are notoriously inaccurate, and they mailed the ballot to every address on the voting rolls. That is a very different and a much less secure election than we have contested in the past because of the ways that states responded to COVID in terms of voting. So what are we going to do on election integrity in 2021? Well, first of all, that's going to be handled on the state level. Our election system is part of our federalist system, which means uh, the states have the ability to conduct elections. We do not want to federalize the election system. The decentralized nature of the election system is actually a safety feature uh, because if uh, something goes wrong in one precinct or one county or one state, um, the rest of the precincts, the rest of the counties, the rest of the states are, are, uh, are insulated from whatever that particular problem in that one location are. But I think the very first step is to snap back away from those uh, new rules that were put in place um, in terms of uh, in response to COVID, go back at the very least um, to the voting rules that were on the books in 2019, and then go state by state and say, what are the practices uh, that are, um, we call them best practices? Well, the state of Florida conducted uh, an amazing election in 2020, and we know the problems they had just 20 years ago in 2000. So uh, looking at examples like the state of Florida is going to be a big part of the policy effort uh, on the state level going forward. In conclusion, Tommy, and I mentioned as we started our interview, I always really look to you for this landscape of of what's coming up. I sort of see you as this policy landscape wizard with your crystal ball. As you hover over that crystal ball and you see 2021, you personally, as a conservative, what is the thing that pops out to you the most that that you want to make sure conservatives focus on? Well, it isn't policy. Uh, it, it, is, it is much more cultural. Uh, and it is, it is about the way that Americans uh, engage with one another. Uh, our civil unrest, our distrust for one another, our distrust for the government, 
uh, because of the abuses of the government, our distrust of the elections, um, the way that uh, uh, race is, is spoken about in this country, um, the way that, uh, you know, political sloganeering uh, has, has really taken off and taken control of our thoughts. How will we respond to that as Americans? Will we continue to go down that road? Will uh, the summer of 2021 um, feature uh, violence between Americans? Or will we uh, reunite around uh, the purpose that uh, we were originally founded, to have a, a free country of, of men and women who uh, were working together in their own ways, unencumbered by the government and unencumbered by adversarial actions from other people trying to inhibit what they're doing. The civil unrest that we dealt with uh, as a result of COVID, as a result of uh, the, the, the protest over the summer, um, and on and on, uh, on to the 2020 election and the aftermath of that, I think that's a chapter we want to close the books on uh, and, and, and move on. But that's a choice for America to make, and it has not yet been made. And so what am I watching for in 2021? Well, what does it look like? How do Americans engage with each other? Um, that's going to determine so much of our future. Uh, and of course, constitutional conservative values, we want those to prevail, and we will fight every day for them to prevail, because it is only under those values where Americans will live in harmony with one another. Thank you again, Tommy. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And we really appreciate all the wisdom you bring to our listeners every time you join us. Merry Christmas. If, if we're ever going to get a white Christmas here in Washington, it's going to be 2020, right? So we can all hope for that. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. We'll be taking a break for the holidays next week, but we'll be replaying our most listened to Heritage Explains episode ever. You know you're curious. Check back next Monday and find out which episode it is. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, our Heritage Explains Facebook page, and the Heritage YouTube page. We put our episodes everywhere to make it easier for you to listen and share them. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Can I get another amen? Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by 